right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys this morning. Good to be back. It has been a long time. Uh, so long that I'm guessing that quite a few don't know who I am. My name is Drew. Uh, I've been able to be a part of this church for a long time now, uh, but I've spent the last few years away. So it's been, it has been not just a long time of a few years, but it's been a long, long season of difficult life for all of us. I mean, this last year, year and a half, however long it's been now that things have just been crazy, it's, everything's changed, you know? Our whole, our whole world is, is different now than when I saw you last. And I follow along with the email newsletters from the church, and so I know those that we've lost in our church and the people that I'm not able to see today. Um, and that was a hard part of knowing that I was gonna be here today, was knowing that there's those that I would love to hug on that just aren't here uh, with us. And that's been a painful part of our experience over these last, whatever, however long it's been, 18 months, a year, I don't even, I lose track of all of it at this point. Um, but I'm so glad to be back. But what I know is this, is that with all that we've been through over this period of time since I've seen you last, no doubt you've changed. No doubt the struggles of life have, have made you into a different person than you were. So that if we were to talk now, I'd have to learn you again. I'd have to get to know who you are, and you'd have to do the same with me. So much has changed in my life. I have three kids now. Yeah, I know. A lot has changed, and there would be a lot to get to know, but what I was reminded of as I was just preparing for this particular message today was that I walked in the back this morning when I came in, and it was like, I'm stepping into to family. This isn't, no matter what's happened, no matter what's changed for any of our lives, it's not, it's not really different. Um, because it's not our experiences, it's not our common interests, it's not even common geography or common age or any of that kind of stuff that like unites us. We're family. We're family, the family of God. Even those of you who I haven't met, if you're, if you're a believer here, we're family. And we're family because we have the same Father. Um, and that's what we're gonna be talking about today. We're gonna be talking about God who is our Father. Um, specifically, you guys have been talking over the last few weeks about the names of God and the different names that we find of him in scripture, and as we learn about those names, how those names help us to relate to him and understand how he's relating to us. Um, so this morning, the name that we're going to be talking about is, is Abba, Father. Um, and the passage that we're going to be looking at primarily is Galatians chapter 4. Now, I am woefully underprepared and did not provide anyone with slides that have passages of scripture on them. So if you have a Bible with you, pull that out. If you don't, pull out your phone. I will trust you. If you decide to check some emails, I won't judge you. Do what you got to do. We've all been there. Uh, but we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4, looking just for a moment at verses 4 through 7. Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 7. It says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, if you've been a Christian for some time, you've been in church for some time, you've probably heard this talked about to some degree, that this phrase here, Abba, Father, is a it is an intimate way to speak to God. It is an intimate way to talk about a father. 
It, it would be similar in our culture to, to a child calling their father daddy. It has that same kind of intimacy and connection and, and relationship tied into it. So we're going to talk a little bit about this as a name of God. And now, even as I was telling a friend about preparing this message, he's like, is Abba really a name of God? I don't know that we would throw that in there as a name. And we're going to get into some of the, the theological and biblical reasons for why I believe that 100%. Uh, not only is it a name, but his most significant, most meaningful, most identifying name. Um, but just on a personal level, I want to say this, is that a few years ago, Daddy was not my name. Um, but now, you better believe, Daddy is my name. Um, my kids don't know that my name is Drew. To them, my name is Daddy. That's who I am. Um, and I'll say it's become the most significant name that I have. It's by far, Drew, I, I'll take or leave that name any day. But Daddy, I mean, I'd die for that one. That one's, that one's more important to me for who I am. It tells more about what I care about than any other name that I have. And I think that we can make a really good case for the same being true of God. Um, that understanding him not only as father, but as Abba Father, as Daddy, this is the most significant name that he has, the one that holds the most weight and purpose and meaning. Um, we'll talk about that in a moment. Let's pray, um, prepare our hearts, and talk some more. Father, we come to you, and we submit our hearts to you. We open ourselves, and we just ask, God, that in this moment, in this time, that you would speak to us, that you would not just speak truth, but that you would speak your truth in love, that you would fill our hearts with the love that you have for us. God, I ask that you would give me the ability to speak uh, with clarity. But Lord, we pray that what you do is that you would take your word as you promised in Hebrews and that you would use it as a sword to cut us open, to lay bare the hidden thoughts and intentions of our hearts, to leave us naked and exposed before you, Lord, to be seen for who we are, to be seen and known. Lord, we pray that in that place of nakedness that you would clothe us in the righteousness of Christ, that you would draw us near to yourself, pull us into your embrace, pour your love on us. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, and I ask that they would have an experience of your love, of your joy over them today. I pray that they would go out from here longing to know you as Father. We pray these things, we put these in your hands, in Jesus' name, amen. Excellent. So that passage in Galatians is one that we're going to spend some time talking about. But before we do that, I want to just make an observation about that passage to kind of help give us a little bit of background for why it's significant, for why it matters so much. Um, and so I just want to look at, at verse 6, because I think verse 6 gives us a good, a good picture of, of what we'll be talking about. Verse 6 of Galatians chapter 4 says, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. In this one verse, we have three main characters talked about. Father, Son, and Spirit. All in this verse. The Father is going to spend the Spirit of the Son into our hearts to cry out, Abba, Father. So as we see the Trinity talked about here in this passage, and the Trinity is something that, as Christians, we talk about it, and we know that it's important, that it kind of like is a distinguishing mark of Christianity, so it's, it's relevant but it's one of those things that's like really confusing. So we don't quite know what to do with it, why it matters, what we should think about it. And it is really confusing. I mean, even if we think of just of what Jesus says, like there's times when Jesus is talking and he says, I am sent from the Father. And the things I'm saying are the things that the Father is giving me to say. The things I'm saying are not my own words. These are the Father's words. And so he like makes a very clear distinguishing like mark between 
I am different from the Father. The Father has sent me. And then at other times, when the disciples ask him, hey, can we see the Father? When are we gonna see the Father? He's like, don't you understand? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. To be with me is to be with the Father. The Father and I are one. And so there's kind of this like, all right, what do I do with that? You're distinct, you're different. He sent you, and now you're gonna send the Spirit, and there's like this, all this distinction, and yet, one, to know me is to know the Father. It just seems really confusing, and it is. Confusing because there's nothing else in our world like that. I am one person, and I have one person. I'm one and one. God is three and one. It's just we don't get it. Well, let's just do this. Let's take the confusing stuff, put it over here. It matters, but we could spend a lot of time talking about analogies and stuff that aren't really all that helpful. Let's just put it away, for, put it to the side, and focus on what is it about the Trinity that actually has real deep significance that we can understand and that we need to wrestle with and understand. And it's this. Father, Son, and Spirit are all one God, and yet, in their distinctiveness, they have been relating to each other for all of eternity. So the Father and the Son and the Spirit for all of eternity have been in a relationship with one another, loving each other, enjoying one another, sharing in perfect fellowship together for all of eternity. God didn't create us because he was bored. He didn't create us because he needed love and he was lonely. He has had everything he has ever needed within himself for all of eternity. The perfect relationship, the perfect community functioning in perfection for all of eternity. And that relationship for all of eternity has been a relationship between a father and a son, and the son and the spirit, and the spirit and the father. This relationship has been around long before you and I. So all that to say, God did not become a father when he made us. God has always been a father. He has always been father to the son. It's part of who he has eternally been. God is eternally a father. And this is significant for a lot of reasons, but one of the things that I think is most interesting or most significant about that is that if this is who God has always been, he's always been a father long before he ever created us, it's interesting that we don't really see that in the Old Testament. Hardly ever. And the Old Testament is this place where God is really revealing himself, showing us his character, his nature, showing us this is who I am, building the foundation for all the rest of scripture to understand who he is and how to draw close to him. And we don't see him describing himself as father. And we don't see anyone talking about him as father. Now there's a few places here and there, there's a handful of verses where people say things like, God is like a father when he does this but we don't see anyone really relating to him as father, talking to him, certainly not as father. And we also don't see God ever saying things like, I'm your father. This is not coming out. It just seems really weird. If this is who he has always been, as I wanna argue, this is probably the most significant part of who he has always been. He has always been a father to son. Like, you would think that this would be something we would hear more or understand more about, but we don't. Actually, we don't really hear anyone talking to him as father until Jesus shows up. But when Jesus shows up, the very first words that we have in scripture from Jesus, he's calling God his father. He's at the, at the feast in Jerusalem with his, with his family. They leave him behind on accident. They're on the journey back home and they realize, oh, we forgot our son. They run back to Jerusalem. They're looking everywhere for him, can't find him. Eventually they find him in the temple teaching a bunch of the temple leaders. And they're frustrated, they're upset. What are you doing? Why would you do this? And Jesus' response is, didn't you know that I'd be about my father's business? 
So from his very first words that we hear, he's referring to God as his father. And we think, oh, okay, yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah, sure, that's great. I'm sure other people were doing that same kind of thing, but they weren't. In fact, what we find is that he's gonna continue calling himself God's son. He's gonna continue referring to God as his father. And this is actually gonna be a really big problem for people. This isn't a normal part of the Christian culture, not Christian at that time, but of the Jewish culture. This is not normal. So when he's calling himself the son of God, and he's referring to God as his father, this is actually gonna cause a lot of problems. Um, one example that we have is in the book of John. Um, John chapter five, verse 17, just an example. You can turn that if you want to, but I'll just read it quickly. Jesus uh, was speaking to some religious leaders, and it says in verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. And this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So it's not as if this is a normal thing. Jesus begins to refer to God as his father, and people are really upset. This is a scandalous thing to them. This is like, for you to say, to talk about God as if he's your father is to take you from the level of a person and to put you way, way, way above to the level of God. This is totally inappropriate. This is blasphemous. And what I would actually say, and what I would actually argue is our, is our temptation is looking to be like, Pharisees, they never understood anything. They never got it right. You know, those guys were always confused. I'm gonna actually say, I don't think they're wrong. I think they're probably actually 100% correct. That if this is a somebody who's a man who's claiming that God is their father, this has never been talked about in scripture. This has never been presented. This is not a way that people were related to God or that he had said they could relate to him. And so for them to say, no, that's inappropriate to claim that kind of closeness, that kind of relational intimacy with the father, you can't do that. And so they are upset. They are angry. They want to kill him for being blasphemous. And I don't necessarily think that their reaction is altogether all that wrong, except they didn't know who he was. Because he's the son. He's the only one who could call him father. He's eternity, for eternity, has been the son of the father. So he is the one who can address God as father. And so here he comes. He's like, oh yeah, my father is doing this. My father is doing that. And they're like, oh, wait a second. Who are you claiming to be right now? But he's relating to God as Father, and we see here that this is something that's unique to Jesus, that only Jesus is able to do. So this is what is mind-blowing about the Lord's Prayer. When the disciples come to Jesus and they ask, so how, how do we pray? How are we supposed to pray? And Jesus starts it out with these words, Our Father. As he's teaching them to pray, he says, all right, here's what we're gonna pray. We're gonna start with Our Father. So here's Jesus, the only one who's really able to relate to God as Father because he's the only son of God. He's now saying, okay, come on, come around me. Here we go. We're gonna come together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Crazy. It would have been shocking at the time for him to have encouraged people to talk to God the same way, but it gets even crazier. When we get into the John, John chapters 14 through 16, known as the farewell discourse, the time when Jesus is preparing his disciples, getting them ready for the time when he's gonna be gone from them. And so during this whole passage, he's, he's telling them about the Spirit. God, the Father's gonna send the Spirit into your hearts. My Spirit, he's gonna send it into you so that you're gonna be united to me 
And so that you're gonna be able to approach the Father as if I was right there with you. And so throughout John 14 through 16, he's kind of teaching his disciples how they're gonna get close to the Father, how they're gonna have a relationship with the Father. And he starts off in chapter 14 saying things like, in that day, you can ask anything of me and I'll do it for you. And, but then in John 15, he goes a little farther and he says, actually, in that day, you can ask the Father anything in my name and he'll do it for you. And then a little further in 15, he says, and then he says again in 16, he says, actually, what I'm saying is that you don't have to ask me for anything. You can ask the Father anything in my name and he'll do it for you. And we just kind of see him moving his disciples to begin to understand that because you're gonna have my spirit in you, because you're gonna be united to me, you're gonna have access to the Father as your Father. You're not gonna need me standing right here with you anymore. You're gonna be able to come to him and have access to the Father and you can ask him whatever you want in my name because you're in me. Ask him whatever you want and he'll do it for you. And so what we see in the life of Jesus, especially near the end of his life, is he's, he's beginning to take this father-son relationship that he has with the Father and he's starting to crack it open and welcome in his disciples to say, hey, you guys get to be a part of this. You guys get to be a part of this eternal life that I have had with the Father. Come on in. Experience it a little bit. Jesus dies. He raises again. Goes back to be with the Father. Sure enough, the Father sends the Spirit of Christ into the hearts of believers. And then Paul, Paul taking all these truths, wrestling with it, begins to talk about something that kind of brings it all together. He begins to speak about adoption. He begins to talk about what it means to be adopted into the family of God. And as Paul begins to talk about adoption, he begins to, to describe how you and I, who were created beings, distant and far off from God, if we have put our faith in Christ, we've been given the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God has allowed us to be adopted in as sons. It's in our verse right here. In Galatians 4, says that at the right time, or in the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we have been adopted into the life of God, adopted in as sons, so that for a long time, People were not relating to God as Father. But now, because Christ has died for us, put his spirit inside of us, we are now adopted into the family so that we too might approach this God as Father. And not just as Father, but as we're gonna talk about here in a second, as Daddy. But I wanna pause and just think of how beautiful the gospel is. It's so much more than you or I getting forgiven of our sins. It's so much more than us just getting to go to heaven when we die. The eternal life of the triune God was cracked open and you were welcomed in. The love that the father has for his son, his perfect son, was cracked open and you were brought in to share in that love, to share in that relationship. Guys, heaven isn't beautiful because we're riding on clouds or because we don't have any pain anymore. Heaven is beautiful because we are getting welcomed into in the fullness, the fullness of the love of God. 
It is a beautiful, beautiful gospel that we believe in. Now, I've grown up most of my life hearing people say, now Christianity is a relationship, it's not a religion. And I would hear that and be like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. So I think about it, like, what does this relationship look like to me? I'm like, okay, well, this relationship looks like I'm kind of trying to do enough of the right kind of stuff so that God's on my side, so that he's like for me and not against me. I'm gonna try to be good so that God shows me more love or so I experience more of his presence. I'm gonna try to do a little bit more so that I feel like it's easier to come to him. I don't have to confess so much stuff just to start talking. Like, I started thinking about what this relationship looks like that I have, and I'm like, this relationship sounds a lot like religion. <laughs> I don't know that I would say that those two things are all that different. When we talk about our faith not being a religion but being a relationship, this is what we're talking about. And this is the kind of relationship that we're talking about. The relationship that our faith is is a relationship between you and your father, a child and their father. In the book of Romans, in chapter eight, it talks about how Jesus is the, is the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters, that we, we relate to him almost as a brother, a, a co-heir, and we relate to our God as a father. This is the relationship that we've been brought into. Why does this matter? Why does any of it matter? I think it matters for a few reasons, uh, many reasons. We'll just go into a couple. One is I believe it's absolutely essential to understand this for our Christian growth. In order for us to grow um, in our relationship with the Lord, we have to know who he is. We have to know what our relationship looks like, how we're to approach him. We'll talk about that more in a second, but I think it's absolutely important for us to understand the love that the Father has for us in order for us to draw near to him and be transformed by him. I think it's also absolutely essential for us as a church because too often we can begin to think that our unity is based on superficial things, that our unity is based on common interests, our unity is based on um, common beliefs about politics and all that kind of stuff. We can even think statements of faith. That, all these things, this is what really forms our unity. But, but the core of what our unity is built around is not all of those things. Our unity is built upon the fact that we're family. We are adopted into the same family, so now we're brothers and sisters. We're not just friends. We're not just co-laborers. We're not just people who enjoy the same like social club. We're family. We're brothers and sisters. We're forever bound to each other. There's no escaping that we are together. We are one. So that if I walk into this church, I haven't been here in what, three years? You're my family still. We have the same father. We're gonna spend all of eternity together. I go into another church, they're my family as well. And so that's why things like gossip in the church and division in the church and all those things are just so heartbreaking because this isn't just factions of people who don't get along. These are brothers and sisters who are being torn apart with things that shouldn't be tearing us apart because we are united in family. We're to fight for each other, provide for each other, care for one another. We're brothers and sisters. We have a responsibility to each other. When someone in church offends us or when the music isn't what we like anymore or the preaching just isn't great anymore, those aren't things for us to say, deuces, I'm out. Those are reasons for us to say, okay, how can I care for my family? How can I take those that are weak and struggling and help build them up? That doesn't mean that we're always all at the same church forever, but wherever we go, 
We don't go with the attitude of like, okay, what can this church offer me? We go with the attitude of this is family. How can I serve and love and be a part of my family? If we lose that, if we lose this picture of adoption, we lose the whole basis for our unity. These things are very important, and yet they're really hard. This conversation about God and seeing him as a father and relating to him as a father, it's, it's super hard. And I think it's hard for, for a few reasons. One of the reasons is that for most of us, we're not used to seeing God as a father. We're used to thinking of him as a judge. The way that we usually talk about the gospel, God is the judge. And Jesus is maybe kind of like my lawyer. And I'm the guilty party. And great, I got forgiven to the end, but I still don't really want to hang out with my judge or my lawyer. <laughs> and so we oftentimes see God as this judge, though, and we're like, I don't know what to expect from him because I hear that he's gracious and loving and forgiving and all that kind of stuff, yes, but there's also a lot of stuff in here about him being angry and a lot of stuff about him like, you know, smiting people and there's like a lot of hard things in here and so a lot of us, we see God as judge and so the idea of getting close to him and knowing him is pretty terrifying. And so when, when our pastors or people tell us, you gotta read your Bible, you gotta be having a quiet time, you gotta pray, you gotta talk to God, internally in a lot of our hearts, it's like, okay, I'll talk to him, but I'm gonna kind of come like casually, like cautiously, like what, what's about to happen? If I'm gonna draw close to this God, what's gonna happen? As he starts showing me all the sin and stuff in my life, is it gonna be a pop over the head? Is that what I'm getting close to this God for? The closer I get, the more dangerous it becomes. And so for a lot of us, we think, all right, if I can stay, I can get close to God, I can do all the church stuff, but I'm gonna keep my heart guarded because in that day that he finally does bring the hammer down, the fi- in that day when finally he's like, all right, it's enough. I am done forgiving. All right, you've pushed it too far. All right, no more grace for you. When that day comes, I wanna be guarded and ready because the last thing I want is to run up and say, daddy, and have pop right across the face because that would be devastating. That would wreck my spiritual life. If I come to him looking for love and acceptance and grace and I look for him to come pick me up and care for me and what I get instead is the hammer dropped, I'm not coming back from that. So I think for a lot of us, as we think of like what it means to even draw close to God, there's just so much like fear and trembling and like I don't wanna really open my heart to him because I'm afraid of what could happen. I'm afraid of how he'll respond to my sin. I'm afraid of what he'll say to me if I actually listen to him. And I get it. I feel like that's been the majority of my Christian life. It's, what, it's my default. It's what I go back to. Stay, stay distanced from him. But the problem with this is that the only thing that transforms us is the love of God. It's the only thing that changes our hearts. When Jesus is talking about bearing fruit and what it means to, to live a life that's pleasing and glorifying to God, he ties it to abiding in his love. It's abiding in his love that changes us, that transforms us. And so if we find ourselves hiding from God, pushing God away, keeping our hearts hardened and closed off, we're never gonna experience and receive and soak in and abide in that love that he has for us. We won't be changed because we won't be open to the love that God is actively pouring into our hearts through the work of the Spirit. And so that fear of the Lord, that unhealthy fear of the Lord can be so tough. The other hard part is that as I start talking about God is a dad. I'm not so naive as to think that everybody in here is like, my dad's the best. That's a great example. 
Man, that helps me understand so much better why I should get close to God. And I have to know that in a room like this, there's all kinds of different experiences that we've had with our fathers. And for some, it's like, that's a great picture of what God looks like. And for others, it's like, for me to even conceive of God as a father is deeply painful and wounding and difficult. So for all of us, this idea that God wants to relate to us as a father, this is gonna have challenges. This is gonna be painful. This is gonna make us question and and deal with things because there's things that we learn in our father-son relationships. I'm looking at the way I'm raising my kids right now. And one of the things that I'm finding and that I hate, but one of the things that I'm finding is that I wanna offer my kids unconditional love. I really do. I want them to know that no matter what they do, they will always be loved. But what I see over and over and over and over again is when they're good, they experience more of my love. And when they're bad, they experience less of it. I'm more likely to lavish it when they do good things. And when they do bad things, I'm more likely to let them know that I'm disappointed, that I'm struggling, that I'm angry. And so my kids, by God's grace, it may not be that bad, but my kids are gonna grow up to some degree believing and learning that when they're good, they're loved more, and when they're bad, they're loved less. And all of us, no matter how great a parents we had, grew up learning the same thing, that when we're good, we're loved more by our friends and by our teachers and by our parents and by our principals and by everyone in our life. When we're good, we get loved more. And when we're bad, we get loved a little less. And so if you're a person who feels like you're not that good, how in the world are you gonna come to God as your father? How in the world are you gonna open yourself up to be loved by him because you're gonna think there's no way he could love me? But our inability to love our own children or love each other unconditionally, this is no indication of how God loves. God loves perfectly and unconditionally because his love for you and his love for me is not based upon our performance. It's not based upon how good we are or how bad we are. The love that the Father has for us is based upon the fact that we have the spirit of his son living inside of us so that when he sees us and relates to us, he relates to us in the way that he does his perfect Son, so that when God relates to us, he sees us as being in Christ, and Christ has never one day of his life disappointed the Father. He has never one day of his life let the Father down. There's never been one day that the Father's looked at the Son and been like, come on. So when God looks at you, he's not seeing you that way. That's not the way he perceives you. That's not the way he thinks about you, and yet for us it's hard because we think, of course that's what he would think. Of course that's the way that it would be but it's not. The Father loves you, and his desire is to lavish his love on you now and all of eternity. A few uh, months ago, I was talking to a friend of mine, and I was just talking about how much I love my kids. I love my kids. I think they are so cool. I think they're cooler than I am. I want to just be a part of their world. I want them to get distracted by whatever they're doing and like look at me and want to play with me, you know, because I just, I want for them to want me. I, I just enjoy them so much. I think they're so cool and I want to brag about them and talk about them. And as you guys are coming out, I'm going to be pulling out my phone to show you pictures because it's just, I love those kids. And I was just talking to a friend of mine about how like, this is just crazy how proud I am, how highly I think of them. This friend of mine said, do you ever think that that's the way that God sees you? I was like, no. No, that's actually not possible. Because the way that God, that, that I see my kids elevates them to such a high level, 
I just pour so much praise and love on them that there is no way that God could see me that way. There is no way. Because if God loved me like that, I would feel like I'd be in danger of like what the Pharisees are upset about. This elevates me to a level that I do not deserve that is almost wrong. There's no way that God could see me for who I am and still love me to that degree with that intensity. Like I'm obsessed with my kids. We're away from them. They're not here with us. I'm sorry. They're not here with us. It's been two days I've been away from them, and my heart is getting ripped out of my chest. I cannot wait to get on that plane and go see them. And if I think that God feels that same way about me, that just feels wrong. It's too much. I don't deserve it. It's just, it doesn't seem right. So I told my friend that. I'm like, no, that's too much. There's no way that God could feel that way about me or about any person. My friend lovingly yet sarcastically responded, no, you're right. You're a better dad than God. <laughs> it's like, okay. But it, it hit me. I began to realize, like, that's so true. I look at the way that I love my kids, and I think I couldn't love them more than I do. But I think of the way that God, my father, loves me, and I think and he's probably mostly disappointed. He's probably mostly frustrated. He's probably mostly, like, right at his wit's end. I say, no. God loves me, not with the same intensity that I love with my kids, but with far more intensity. His heart is far more filled with joy over me. Don't get it. Far more obsessed, if you will, with me than I am with my own kids. And it feels wrong to think it, wrong to say it, but it's true. He is the perfect father. His love is perfect. And when we look at ourselves as parents, or we look at our own parents and think of we can easily point out all the things that are wrong and say, well, that must be the way that God is. But what we need is we need to shift that and turn that to begin to say all of the things that maybe were wrong in, in our parents or that's wrong in our parenting, those are opportunities for us to turn and say, God is not those things. God is the opposite of those things. When I feel not good enough, God is the opposite of that. God is the one saying, you are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. So oftentimes the pain of our past, the pain of our, our childhood can be difficult and can feel like it's keeping us from approaching God, but by the grace of the, of the Lord, I'm gonna pray that, that God would take those wounds and use them to propel us towards him, to say the things that we longed and wished that we had, we have in Abba. We have them now in him. It's a, it's a beautiful, um, beautiful truth. So here's what, here's what I want to encourage you to do. This week, today, whenever you have a chance, I'm going to encourage you to get a, some time alone with the Lord. And I want you to take all of the stuff that's come up out of like what we're talking about today, and I want you to take all of that, and I want you to talk to him about it. This idea of seeing him as judge, if that's something you struggle with, I want you to take those feelings, those thoughts, and I want you to take it, and I want to talk to him. Are you mad at me? Are you, are you just waiting until I make enough mistakes to bring the hammer down? Like, if I get close to you, am I, is there a chance I could get hurt here? Take those questions, those doubts, those fears, and begin to just talk to him about it. Like, what do you think about this? Or if you're here and you're like, man, some of my, my dad's stuff, my father issue stuff, like, that feels like it's getting in the way of me and God. Like, are you, do you see me that way? Is our relationship the same as my relationship with, with my dad? Is that how we work? Take those questions to the Lord and ask him. Ask him what he says. 
what he thinks. Give him the opportunity to respond to you, to tell you what he thinks about you, what he feels about you. What I'm gonna ask you, encourage you to do is after you ask all your questions, put them all out there, sit and wait. And this is hard because we're Baptists and we don't like the idea of God actually saying stuff, but sit and wait and ask for him to respond. And I believe that he will respond. The reason I believe that he's going to respond to you and he's gonna begin to pour truth into those places in your life is because of our passage. It says that he's poured the spirit of the son into our hearts to cry out, Abba, Father. He is in your heart right now crying out, Abba, Father. We see in other passages it says that the spirit is there to confirm to us that we are children of God. It says in other other portions of scripture that the spirit is there pouring the love of God into our hearts. You have the spirit of God inside of you whose goal, whose job it is to tell you, you are a child of God. He loves you. You can come to him as daddy. This is the job of the spirit full time. He's doing this in you constantly, doing this work, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it. And so if you and I stop for a moment and say, hey, what do you think about me? I believe that the Spirit has been waiting for you to ask that question for so long and that he has got a lot of things to say. He will begin to pour the love of the Father into your heart, begin to remind you and tell you you are a child who is loved and begin to create and stir in you the ability to reach out to your Heavenly Father and say, Daddy, Abba, oh, I'm not scared of you. I'm gonna come close. I encourage you to do that this week, to open your heart to the Lord and let him speak the truth of how he sees you. It's all over scripture. You could open up this book and find all over the place countless passages about adoption, who you are as his child. It says in Ephesians uh, 2, I think, I have it written down. Might as well say it right. Ephesians 1, see, there you go. In Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, it says that this was in the heart of God before the foundation of the universe. Before he created anything, he had decided that he was going to adopt you. Adoption, us becoming children of God, was part of the plan from the very beginning. This has been God's eternal plan, was to welcome you, a created being, into his family to be loved as a son, as a daughter. It's all over the pages of the scripture, but sometimes we get numb to it. Sometimes we don't think about it. We don't see it. And so I'm going to ask you, take the truths of the scripture, sit with the Lord with them and say, is this true? Do you feel that way about me? Is this how I can talk to you? And I believe that you will be overwhelmed by the love that the Father has for you. He's not a God to be afraid of. He's a God to be drawn near to and loved by. And in that love, we're transformed. We're changed. And let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for the beauty of the gospel. We thank you that you would create us knowing the pain and the suffering and the sadness that would enter our world so that you could adopt us into your family so that we can be made sons and daughters who are with you for eternity, crying out to you, Abba, Father, we praise you, God. We thank you for taking the pain of our past and the struggles that we face and redeeming these things so that we can see you more clearly for who you are. 
We praise you for taking your perfect love and welcoming us into it, cracking open your own life and welcoming us in. We praise you for your faithfulness, for your love. God, by your grace, would you draw us close? Would you cast out our fear with your perfect love? Would you draw us close to yourself? Would you wrap us in your arms? Remind us of who we are in you. We're yours and we love you. Pray this in Jesus' name.